Welcome to The People I Know, a philosophical podcast with and about the diverse people I've met over the years as a philosopher, dancer, dog lover, and off-grid enthusiast. Today's special guest is a longtime friend. She is an organization and community leadership coach, Nikki Avant-Brown. Enjoy. My name is Nikki Avant-Brown. I am a life and leadership coach. Um, I focus on coaching individuals within the community. So in that way, um, I'm just really working hard to empower leaders um, of all forms, shapes, sizes, ages, um, all backgrounds, cultural histories, um, and really just helping people embody their best selves inside of organizations and out. Awesome. And um, we met through an organization that was, <laughs> how many years ago was that now? Uh, started in 2010. Okay, you started. I think. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I think I started there in 2009 and maybe it was the next year, something like that. Oh man, like 10, 11 years. That's crazy. It is. <laughs> we still look the same. <laughs> so. <laughs> so that organization is working with uh, adults with Asperger's syndrome and um, adults on the autism spectrum. Um, was that um, how you got started with uh, doing this kind of leadership work or were you already doing it? Is this something that you knew you wanted to be doing? Yeah, so I think, um, so I started um, when I was a lot younger and I started doing peer work. Uh, at, I was actually in five years old in school and in kindergarten doing peer work. I found awards from the past and I'm just like, whoa. So, um, so it's something that must have always been embedded in me. Um, yeah. You know, it's like one of those really core foundations and, you know, one of those core principles of just like help how you can when you when you're able and you know and just um I didn't realize that it was something I was so passionate about until we were at that organization um what is because right after that organization after leaving um is when I went and got my coaching certification and the reason I did was because while I was at that organization we were you know I, I found myself being helpful, being useful in some way, right? Helping mm -hmm. the younger people to really see themselves more clearly. But I noticed that they didn't have a lot of autonomy in, mm -hmm. in, the, in their own lives, right? And in the, in the decisions that they wanted to make, uh, those decisions were being made in important decisions like mm -hmm. career, girlfriend, boyfriend, um, identity, you know, were being made by uh, the people around them, the people who had their best interests at heart, but couldn't quite, they, you know, but they were encroaching on, yeah. um, on kind of like their ability to achieve what they wanted in their own lives. And so, um, yeah, so I was just like, I want more people to have voice and choice. And I wanted to figure out how to better and how to better empower people to do that. Mm. Yeah. More people to have voice and choice. <laughs> Simple. 
Why? Yeah. <laughs> Same <simple. laughs> yeah. Same simple. <laughs> yeah. So before that, I worked in, I worked, worked with uh, foster homeless runaway foster youth. Um, I worked with different populations, uh, youth in, in the uh, juvenile justice system. Um, just youth. I did a lot of youth development. I think to that up until then, um, and so then after that, just taking on the strategy of like, okay, well, how do we continue to be our best selves and have voice and choice uh, when it matters as adults? And where people were really getting beat down were in organizations, like people were suffering, right? Um, always getting suffering and being um, kind of broken to it to an extent by the hierarchy that I was, you know, that we all feel. Um, but it was just so evident, it was so clear that in organizations, especially people who are non-traditional leaders, which are the really the ones in community that I hope to, you know, that I work with and hope to really um, do best by, mm -hmm. uh, they just weren't really um, receiving valid the validation that they needed in order to get to the next level, whatever that what looks like for them. How do you mean by uh, non-traditional leaders? Yeah, so so essentially, well, co I would say like um, once I got my coaching certification, I started to notice certain things, right? Most coaches, well, the first of all, the coaching profession is dominated by um, white folks, <laughs> white <laughs> folks, but a lot of, like nonprofits, a lot of white women. Mm -hmm. um, well, it started out white men and then white women kind of came in and they were really providing executive coaching. Coaching was offered at the executive level. Um, you know, it really wasn't trickle, a trickle down um, type of approach or something that was accessible to people who weren't, you know, um, directors um, at, at the director's level mm. uh, or, you know, and really, stayed oh, in the realm of corporations, right? It was like corporate coaching and, and it's really, it was really costly, really expensive. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't affordable, uh, people weren't accessing it and most people don't, didn't know about it, people of color. So when we talk about um, non-traditional leaders, the, the, the intention there is to reach and serve People who are um, who are budding leaders, right? So maybe like somebody who are considered to be paraprofessionals, right? Or or even entry level folks who are just trying to figure out their way, right? Mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out how to be their most authentic selves in these spaces. Um, so non traditional leaders really encompass um, it. It, can, it spans a wide range of folks, right? Because you can look at people in the community and you can see um, you know a woman a mother or just a somebody who started a, a farming uh, or urban farming program and is feeding her community well she's obviously a leader but she doesn't have the title or the what do you call it the um, like the credentials uh, maybe even the credentials or the um, notoriety, so to speak, mm. or she doesn't get recognized as mm -hmm. such, but, you know, in an official way. 
but people experience her as a leader, right? They experience mm -hmm. her leadership. They're inspired by her leadership. Um, and maybe, maybe she might not feel like, you know, a leader. She might not call herself that because of right. the, the connotations associated with being a leader. And sometimes when we associate, um, you know, when we think of leaders and leadership, we think of hierarchy or we think mm -hmm. of like the stuffy box that we have to try to fit into. We think of, you know, white supremacy. Maybe we mm -hmm. think of systems high, you know, um, I was gonna say systems hierarchy, but we think of oppressive systems yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe even competitiveness and everything that people associate with um, striving for something. So non-traditional leaders, like let's say in youth, de in, um, youth development were, were, you know, at times, uh, for instance, young people who were part of the foster system um, and as they aged out, started to speak out about mm. their experiences, started to really bring to light some of the things that were were broken in the system, mm -hmm. right? And starting and starting to um, include things that can be done, right? Offer mm -hmm. new ideas and who are changing things. I mean, we so in in this way, like when we engage with these um, non traditional leaders, where we usually find them are um, in places where there's there's some social justice. Um, mm -hmm you know, a social justice focus, some social change happening, some some change agents who are from the community, right? Mm -hmm. So um, non-traditional leaders could, could be anyone who may not believe <laughs> that they're leading. <laughs> um, those people who leave from behind or, yeah, yeah, or, you know, who manage up. Those yeah. are the ones that we're like, okay, I'm like, you know, pause, yeah. let's recognize you and, um, you know, we, let's call you whatever you want to be called, but, yeah. you know, we want to support you. Yeah. I, um, while I was teaching community college down in South Florida, <clears throat> of course, we had a lot of trainings that we had to do. And um, I remember being in one in particular, I only got like this little, little portion of it. And then I got this like I don't know, four CD set that I keep in my car. I remember sitting in the training thinking, well, damn, like this is a secret. Like I need to hear these things. This is really helpful for me as a professional. This is really helpful for me as, a, as an instructor. This is really helpful for me to, like just to motivate me every day to, to focus and stay on my path or to figure out my path. And so kind of, since then, I mean, I see where there's there's some problematic stuff in it, um, but I, I, I've held on to, or as a professional since then, I, I always reflected on like, damn, why is this so, why is this such, such a guarded thing? Why isn't this made available to other people, to, to the non-executives, to, you know, why did I have to have a boss, a leader of this school who did advocate for this being available for all of the instructors, not just for the head honchos at the school. Why did it take that long um, kind of thing? So that's, that's cool what you do. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, you got a point, right? So a lot of the time it's, it's like, um, it's like, why, do, why are we giving away so much to people who uh, have already gotten to a place where they, 
you know, where it is, it's starting to come a little easier to them. They have access mm-hmm. to it already. Mm-hmm. Why are we giving it to people who just, you know, aren't yet there, right? Mm-hmm. So, and what ends up happening is that the people at the top, so to speak, are offered so many different resources, right? And, and mm-hmm. oftentimes they get overwhelmed by them. They're like, okay, I don't even know what to do. And they mm-hmm. may or may not take advantage of it. So a lot of them aren't going, you know, <laughs> to the people yeah. who really want to to have this information and it's crazy like when you you're younger it's like I have no idea what I don't know so I don't you know it's like I didn't even know coaching was a thing you know (laughs) (laughs) and then it's like I'm experiencing the magic of it when I was in the program was getting coached and it it literally was changing my whole way of of thinking and um you know setting the whole foundation for what I could actually do in this world so It was, it's nuts. It's like, so that's why, that's why I'm like, you know, uh, just want to continue to bring coaching down, right? So it has, Mm -hmm. um, you know, deeper roots. So, and, and, and the wider reach. Mm So moving forward into, um, you know, official questions, because I only have four official questions. So the next one is about being Black. Yay! Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Why and or when does being Black matter for you? And that's personally or professionally. Mm, That is quite a loaded question. Uh, (laughs) Oh, um, all the time, all the time. I cannot get around being Black. Um, nor do I want to. It's like one of the best things that I get to be. It is one of the best things. <laughs> um, being Black, it, it's like it affords me a certain privilege, right? I, I say it's a privilege. I say it all the time. Um, you know, and I say it all the time to white people, especially, because they sometimes, especially people who are like, who, who are holding a lot of white guilt, mm. they are of this belief that, you know, they have the privilege because it's like, oh, I just learned about this thing called privilege and I got it all and you don't got none and <laughs> I'm, I got to learn how to share with you. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you are, you, you know, you know that I value you or care about you or something to that extent. And I'm like, I don't mm. need any of that, right? Because my privileges are in being able to feel comfortable enough to say, I don't need that stuff, white people. <laughs> Look, white lady, mm-hmm. I don't need it. Um, you know, my privilege is in being able to express myself, um, as widely or as loudly as I want and not having grown up in a culture where that was shamed or, um, you know, it's like, we're not supposed to show emotion. I show emotion. And Mm. so I get to release. I have a privilege of being in my body. Um, As a black person, I have a privilege of being part of a culture, right? We always talk about black people, black people, black people as a whole. And you know, and then we have a lot of people who are like, well, I'm not all Black people. I don't represent Black people. And it's true. However, mm-hmm. I also have the privilege of jumping into 
Black people cultures around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a Black person, because we share an experience of being oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I'm like, I, I'm privileged in so many ways. I'm privileged because I get to speak multiple linguistic styles, right? I get to, I get to blend. I get to, um, you know, I, I get to blend or not. Um, you know, I have, a, yeah, a double consciousness, which is good. And it has its pros and its cons, but mm. it is an elevated level of thinking. It is a higher consciousness. Um, it is a totally juicy way of being. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm like, I revel in that, you know, um, I get to claim people who, you know, as I was like, oh, you know, um, I get to claim Coleman A. Young, I get to claim Dinkins, I get to claim um, uh, Maya, I get to claim Bell, Bell Hooks, you know, I get to claim um, Royston, you know, <laughs> I get to claim, ooh, I get to claim Nicki Minaj if I wanted to, if yeah. I wanted to, want to. <laughs> um, and I get to do that. I get to be like, I claim her today and not yeah. tomorrow. I get to claim some Megan Thee Stallion songs, but not WAP, you know? Um, <laughs> I get to be, I get to be ratchet. I get to be all of myself. Um, and all of that, like ratchetness is fun. I get to, you know, I get to kiki. I get to be part of, of, of a lot. Um, yeah. And so as a, so of course, like I'm also a gay lady and I get to be a lot of other stuff there, right? And I, I just feel like the more um, identities I have, the more life I get to live um, and the more culture I get to experience. But at the same time, um, being Blackness is at the foundation of my understanding of the the world and of life mm. um, yeah I just remember um when I being young like super young I don't know four and I think my earliest memories of like my my of this concept that I was part of this community that was receiving a disproportionate um resources uh or opportunities was was when you know i'm sitting with my family in the front room and we're watching the news the local news and they were you know uh talking you know it's like my grandmother my mother father uh aunts cousins you know and we had a tiny little house but people were just like packed in together and they were just yelling talking about how, you know, basically like, and the white people, you know, in the suburbs get this, but the black people, we get this and nobody is doing this and we have to do something, you know? And it was like, mm. what, we not getting something? You know, and it's like, because we're mm. black, this is crazy. Mm. Um, and then it was like, okay, so that opened it up to, to me exploring what black is. Um, mm. And I just, I love it because those types of experiences allow me to share. I, I love to share those experiences, especially with people <clears throat> who have not had them, nor can they fathom those types yeah. of conversations. Um, yeah. They may have been complacent in their uh, learning about what that could be like for Black people. Mm -hmm. um, 
or people from low income communities because not all you know the other thing is not all black people share that experience um, right you know I met a, a woman a mentor of mine who uh you know grew totally privileged and um and and she grew up in a predominantly white world um I can't even say neighborhood like world <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, I remember talking to her about, but, you know, and, and this was when I was younger and I had made some assumptions. And one of my assumptions that I think a lot of young Black people make is that, uh, especially, yeah, is that that the oppression ex felt is experienced by everybody. Like we experience mm -hmm. oppression the same way. And <clears throat> right. so I was like, yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And she was just like, yeah, no, I don't. I don't, don't get that. that. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean you don't feel it? You should be angry. She's like, I'm not angry about that. Mm -hmm. She's like, it is what it is. And I just was, at first, I was like, oh, no. You know, like, you gotta be angry. What <laughs> do you mean you're not angry? Revocation of the like, black card. You don't have Right, because I was like, you ain't black enough. She, she ain't black enough, y'all. You know, like, I yeah. thought, you know, but what I realized is that Yo, you can be black, you can be upset by, you can be angry, you know, you mm -hmm. get to be angry, you can be mm -hmm. angry and express it. You can express your anger and that's totally mm -hmm. legit, but it's not a good place to live. You don't have to live in the anger of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's not healthy for yeah. you, it's not productive for yeah. anybody. You know, you said something, um, it just reminded me of a conversation I was having <clears throat> with, so I had, did one of these recordings with a friend. I won't say which one because I don't want anybody to be triggered who's listening or watching, but just keep this kind of vague because it is broad and it is relevant. So how some people, many people aren't familiar with the Black experience, Black experiences and Black people and non-Black people. In this particular instance, talking about non-Black people, white Americans especially. And so whether that is that there are Black folks coming to the realization that there's inequities, whether that experience is that what, what being poor means, being Black and poor means, being Black and female or Black and male and poor means, whether that experience is being called or hearing like the N-word in different ways uh, on a regular basis. These are things that are just like unfathomable for people who are not next door to it, don't have family, don't even have friends, don't, it's, not, it's not their lived experience. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, without judgment. But what you're saying is that, you know, it is helpful to share these experiences with people so that <laughs> they begin to have an understanding. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I, I, I really wanted to point that out because I was speaking with someone else who, um, who stopped me after listening to one of these episodes and it was like, you know, I, it's she just said the n-word the n-word just so casually you know that 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 just that's just that's just weird don't you think it's like yeah. no like, <laughs> that was like she was relaying this experience that she had where that was something that she heard on a regular basis and like mm -hmm. if you're a black person you probably know like the different tiers of like when and why you hear this word in the world yeah. but <laughs> and, yeah and <laughs> And how it's used, right? Because it's used in so many ways, right? So many ways. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, one thing about our experiences is is, is the, the process of learning about the Black experience. Mm 
right? Because um, because hmm, I'm almost like what what's actually coming up for me is like okay, so there's a black experience, and then there's the black community, right? Um, I think that when I was growing up, I might have conflated the two. Um, and I'm like, and maybe even to this day, but yeah. you know what I'm what I'm starting to think about is you, you know you're kind of because you're black, you're born into a community of black people, right? You're born into the community, but this concept that we all hope for, it's like an ideal of, of a, a unified black experience. And I can't even say we all hope for, right? Cause that's, that's a little off, but mm -hmm. this idea of the black experience may not be real, right? It may, I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's what, that's that's what um, pulls the community starts to to fray the community in some ways, right? That's mm -hmm. the that's often what we use to judge each other. That's mm -hmm. what we use to get each other back in line, right? Because mm -hmm. it's like no, we're supposed to have, be having this experience, and in this experience, we're all like expressing ourselves in this way. We have some agreement, right? Some foundational understanding of what it is to be black in, in this world or country mm -hmm. um, or community, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I, I'm just like, okay, you know, that's gave me some pause. Like, yeah, um, which kind of moves into when does being black not matter for you? Mm. <clears throat> you know what, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird way to ask it. <laughs> No, it's a good question. It made me really think because, um, you know, I wanted it to not matter. Like recently, so I'm part mm. of this. Um, I'm I'm a consultant on this this team um, that strives for anti-black racism in in the world, right? And in this one particular organization, and in in our uh, like we, essentially we had a retreat and during the retreat we were um you know we we were able to kind of create together what we wanted the, the retreat to look like some of the goals and some of some of the, the what we whatever it was that we were seeing as important so because mm -hmm. of COVID, because of george floyd especially in 2020 we came to a pause and we started to re, like really look at racism and really look at ourselves and we challenged each other now this is a team you know it's a very diverse team but we challenge each other like okay we got to do our work y'all because mm -hmm. if if we're if our goal is anti-black racism we're not there yet as a team we're kidding ourselves right so um anyway so part of this process involved um affinity groups right where there was a bipoc group black indigenous people of color group and then white people group mm -hmm. <laughs> Now, I can't say that I necessarily have full voice in this, you know, it was like a lot of the BIPOC people, Black people especially, were like, well, come on now, no, like, what, like, do we really need to do that? Do we need to start yeah. splitting ourselves um, in the sake of, like, diversity and inclusion? But, yeah. yeah. So when we did, um, you know, I, I wanted it to be both important and, un it was important and unimportant, I guess, to join this BIPOC group. Um, 
because it was like a sense, you know, when we first showed up, it was like, oh, this is like a party. You know, people were like, somebody was playing music and we'd be like, oh, we black up in here. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we black, we black. Yeah. And what I've started to feel and, and what became really evident was like, okay, then it was like, you know, cause there was, there was a series of calls. And so it became like, oh, I don't trust you though, black lady. You know, and then it was like, oh, black lady, you sound, and it was a lot of, you know, like black ladies, you got white mentality, but then it was mm. like, oh, black lady, you too black. Like you always talking about being black, you know? And then it became just, everybody was judging everybody. There was, it was a lot of distrust between us. And so even <laughs> though in that way, I wanted, blackness to matter because I thought it would be something that automatically unifies us um mm -hmm. it's like that when, when you start to see people are people as in you see them as individuals right mm -hmm. and people do they people who are who they are with their histories um and they bring all of them into these relationships and you start right. to realize like it's 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 not about like blackness is it's not as important mm -hmm. in a space full of black professionals that's kind of a common theme and and it it really does turn into like if I'm reflecting on my the times in my life where I'm like wait when did I stop thinking about kind of like actively stop thinking about my blackness or like tell myself to turn the switch off and it's like typically when I'm a room of people who look like me like oh all right so I get to worry about other stuff now um, and, and that's an interesting, and there's plenty of other things to worry about, mm -hmm. with, especially in that kind of professional setting, doing the work yeah. that you're doing. Um, yeah. And it's like other identities popped out, right? Other identities really started to come to the mm -hmm. forefront. Cause it was like, well, as a, a trans person, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody is like, well, as a woman, you know, and start pointing finger at men and, um, mm -hmm. it became, it was like a lot of other things became more important. So it just got me thinking about, you know, how we group up uh, according to which um, group we believe holds the most safety for us at that time. Right? Mm. And or, right, if we're a little bit evolved, um, which group allows us to be more authentically us. So, mm. But I'm, I'm lost, like I'm that. lost. I'm like, I don't even know. Cause that threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, people that, you know, I thought we was, you know, so I thought we was all black, but now we just keep finding issues. We have problems. We just got problems with, within each other, right? But yeah. we really got problems with ourselves. That's yeah, clearly yeah. where it starts. Which, which really moves into the next bit on philosophy and critical thinking. Um, the question is when are philosophy and or critical thinking important for you, <clears throat> excuse me, personally or professionally? So you can take one or the other, philosophy or critical thinking, take this with personally or professionally. When, when do these things come up? Um, yeah. Asking big questions or just asking more questions? Yeah, I think, um, I think I, I, uh, as a young person, my mother, especially, well, I would say a lot of people in my family, but my mother forced me to start to think more critically. Uh, I, I was, you know, I came from a family of five siblings. Um, and then there's my mother, father, 
a bunch of cousins, you know, same ages. And so a bunch of cousins, aunts, you know, just a, a big old family who either <laughs> lived in the same house across the street, down the street. And so we would just, you know, I would notice uh, on Fridays consistently, all of the grownups would gather at the dining room table and they play spades and bed whist and talk crap and gossip but in the gossip was a lot of ideas right mm. ideating and and grand scheme making right grand plans and visions and dreams and um what ifs and what you think about you know <laughs> and so um it was always you know a process of like shifting and playing around with reality um, mm allow creating that space for one another to start to think critically about either something that was going on that they were facing or someone that they knew was facing or to try to shift you know at times I noticed my mother being like a she would like I, I don't know like um she played a role in helping people to expand their perspectives so she would mm -hmm. challenge certain people's you know beliefs if they were holding themselves or someone else small so she would just you know get in there like hey okay are you let's think about that like what if um and so i so i was surrounded by that right whereas i used to look at it in terms of like yeah i get around my family and we just like laugh and laugh and talk shit right but and that's you know what i learned black people do like when they happen to get, yeah. time, they get together and talk shit but yeah. in the shit talking is is a way uh, is philosophy Right? right and the shit talking is and you know you always have like uncles who think that they like the best philosophers ever but then you know everybody's looking like so you know but but that even in the pause as a younger person noticing when people would shift or you know had a side eye just be like hmm, i'm curious about that made me curious about Right. And then people would challenge me. And so I was never able to just think one thing or one way. I was never encouraged to just accept stuff and just let that be. So that lays the foundation for what I do now. Like when I was thinking about it in my work right now, I work as um, one of the feedback advisors for feedback coaching advisors for Blooming Willow Coaching. And as a feedback advisor one of my roles or responsibilities is to you know to, to uh, tighten up the skills of the students who are part of the program who are learning the coaching skills and to just so i'm very i'm using my critical thinking there every time like how can i you know um enhance this how can i help them see bigger how can i i help them to grow and i'm thinking long term mm -hmm. but the philosophy is what i bring in into my feedback a lot because i'm always thinking about what foundation are they standing upon right now mm -hmm. and if i have some sense of who they are who they're becoming then i'm thinking about um how can that foundation the, the one that they had and or the one that they can continue to build um, support them in achieving this goal of being an amazing coach, right? Mm. And so, um, so I think about that a lot. I was thinking about it the other day. I was sitting there and I was like, this person, you know, does not, um, you know, like their their core principles aren't uh, aren't coming through in 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 you know, and aren't coming through as coach and. Mm 
you know, the philosophy of being a healing center coach um, isn't, isn't quite attached to what they're doing. So mm. it's, it, the, when I think of philosophy, um, so it's funny. I think of it in a couple of different ways. Um, and, and I get nervous talking about philosophy with you, Joy, because <laughs> I'm like, come on no, now. It's okay. I know it's you fine. are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but what I go back to is like in college, I had, you know, I took this philosophy course. I took two of them. And one was intro to philosophy. And in that class, you know, I, I found that I always had something to contribute, but I held back on contributing it because mm -hmm. because I always had a, a different philosophy, different from most people in the classroom, because the class was at least 92% white male, mm -hmm. right? Was led by a white man and white men admired him and they took the court, his course and mm -hmm. they would talk loud and then high five <laughs> each other and they thought that their philosophies around about the world were the best um, and, and just core. Um, yeah. And I would be sitting there like doubting myself. Well, not doubting my worldview or my perspective, but I would be doubting whether or not it's worth sharing, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I'd be like, well, they, they not gonna get it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if it is, um, you know, and also I didn't know at that time. I was like, I think that the world should be this, but when nobody's really there to validate yeah. the way you see it. And I think I was invalidated a few times. So I was like, you know, whatever, you know, yeah, but yeah. So, my, so my relationship with philosophy in general, isn't that, you know, it, like as, a, as an academic um, avenue feels disjoint, disconnected. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, as I, as I understood philosophy, it was, a way to change ideas and thus change the world. Mm. And I try my best to change the world. <laughs> so, yeah. so I got ideas for days. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, my belief is yeah. part of the reason that I love you so much because I, I I feel that I really really feel that, and there's been times where like, I feel like I've got too many ideas and oh I feel like so I've got too many, <laughs> he is adorable. You need to get up and get some water. Just get some water, he's sitting in the sunlight and he does this when he's thirsty. He just needs oh, to get up yeah. and get some water. Um, yeah, it was, uh, there's been times where I felt like I have too many ideas um, or I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with them all. Um, and it's easier when it's like, oh, I've got ideas for like choreography. Like, okay, I just need to get into the studio. But when it's like all these big world kind of things, like, well, what am I supposed to do with like, I don't even want them all. Like, can I just give them away? <laughs> <laughs> can I create that? Um, so no, and, and you're absolutely right that like, you know, philosophy is a way to kind of like foster those ideas, to, to pick them apart in order to strengthen them. Um, and that's why I wrote this down that you, you've held on to this, like basically checking people with their core principles, like that, that is what philosophy does. Like, okay, well let's reduce everything to what is not, to what cannot be reduced and then move forward from there. 
or make sure that everything is aligned with that foundation, with those core principles. And if we have a problem with figuring out what those core principles are, then okay, let's let's look at <laughs> core principles like capital letters and then figure out where you fit in there. Mm. So <laughs> Joy, you just you blew the lid off of my life. I'm like, I struggle with <laughs> I struggle socially because mm. of that. Mm. I struggle um, to because I'm always trying to reduce things down, right? If something like because people tend to like do this naturally before I became a coach. You know, my brothers and brothers especially, but you know, people would call just to, and they would call me and my mother, right? And so I, I would just notice that I guess I'm I'm that person now in this generation, right? They'll call and I would just listen, right? For but until I can't until I feel like I had something to say, until I had something to challenge, right? Because it's like I and, and and it's not challenging in the way that's like you're not you're like well stop doing that I dare you you know right. it's it's, right. it's more so just reducing it right like so the, you're holding these assumptions what's underneath these assumptions and yep. is it still something you want to continue to hold right. or what can shift right and so I get in trouble because what I realize is that you sometimes people don't want that people don't want you to just mm, they want you no. to listen they don't need your ideas they don't need you to see it different and they just want to be in their perspective they want to mm -hmm. have their philosophy mm -hmm. um and I can't I'm like I told people I was like well don't call me then you know like, <laughs> not I, this, is, this is what I do I'm not going to be able to not ask at least have you tried what else have you tried mm -hmm. right what else mm -hmm. have, you, have you tried? What else can you imagine is going on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and I got told by my hairdresser that because of that, she was like, oh, I bet you can't kiki right. And I was like, nah, okay, that's why I can't kiki. I don't get invited to the parties, right? <laughs> <laughs> especially, oh, it's like people do not like it. Cause I'm like, I, I don't, I can't just sit there and hold somebody into in one frame of mind and you know one yeah. like, little character characterization. Yeah. I didn't say that right, but you know, character. <laughs> yeah, caricature. caricature. <laughs> yeah, like I can't. I'm not gonna hold them that small. Like this person is a whole ass person. So yeah, yeah. Know. No, I woo. I feel that too. And and what it's like. I struggle with that with relations with my personal relationships with. Um, with people in my family, especially, but then like coworkers who is like, no, really don't, don't go to joy. Cause she's, she's not the one. If you just want to like have a lighthearted conversation, it's gonna, it's gonna go all joy on you. I, I had a coworker <laughs> tell me that one time. Go you, are joy. you going to go all joy on me? Am I supposed to go Jane on you? I, I don't know her. Right. But then it's like, then I have kind of the opposite issue. It's like, there are times where, you know, we are human and I, I do want that. I do want to just like be in my space of irrationality and like non-foundation or, or acting like somebody that I know I shouldn't be acting like, not, not holding true to my spirit. I want to be that sometimes. And then the people in my life who know 
<laughs> what's good for me are trying to pull me out of it. It's like, no, I don't want. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I, I, I feel that I, I don't get invited to those parties. Right. Like kind of fun, you know. They sometimes, seem kind of- sometimes they seem fun. I listen in. Um but you know, it's like I might need to just let's have a dance party instead. Like yeah. let's do that. <laughs> So my, my final official question is the big one. Um, it's on existential dilemmas, existential crises. Um, so, so how do you deal with existential dilemmas, um, either personally or professionally? How do they come up for you? How do you see them in the world? Mm, Trump. That person. <laughs> um, of course, he would come to mind first. Right? Um because he had he played a dirty role in so many things and or was just anti so many positive um like so many so many hopes and dreams that we have for ourselves in the in in our world but you know everybody blames trump for everything including me and i need to just move on and so i think you know when i when i think of an existential dilemma well, something that's threatening us is uh, our world. You know, we had a fire NATO going on. Yeah. Um, that I, every time I think of fire NATOs, I think of Pompeii, right? I just I'm like, mm. come on, they didn't see that coming. Now they didn't have the technology we have, but there's so much that Mother Nature can do that our little devices can't compare to, mm-hmm. right? So we we may not see certain things coming. I think that we are um you know in a in a really odd place of um of needing to listen mm. to um yeah to what so this is yeah i'm about to get kind of like spiritually on on you yeah um, Go for but it. i think you know when i talk about mother nature i'm also talking about mother god right and i'm who knows? God probably don't have no gender, but um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm really thinking about listening to um, kind of like this what however however people might see it for themselves, but listening to spirit, spirit guides, guardian angels, all the protectors that we know are telling us what's up. Right. And we get those experiences in our body, the somatic feelings, we get the vibrations, we get the images, we get the the sensations, we get the, um, you know, the, the emotion. And, you know, it's like a feeling like, oh, I'm feeling like I should run. You mm-hmm. probably should run. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. something is going on. Um, and I'm not one of those people that's like super dark or like, yeah, if it, you know, living in fear all the time. Right. But I also don't think that we need to be so complacent and so aloof to the what's happening in the world. And the one way that we can track what's happening in the world is by tracking what's going on inside of us. I mean, we mm-hmm. are all star stuff. Well, we made a same star. <laughs> I watch Neil deGrasse Tyson all the time. Um, you know, and and I just and if and there's this like knowing of that there's something not just greater, but there's a continuum of time 
he says space-time continuum right um and it is and if you believe in karma you believe in life cycles you you you, and you can understand where you're at or i mean you might not know i don't know what life cycle i'm on exactly i mean right certain um uh, astrologies tell me different things but i i wouldn't know exactly i mean that's like okay i think i am but right the point is that um you know if you hold a, a connection to that or just kind of keep an ear saying attuned to what it is that you're experiencing and mm-hmm. and don't necessarily just brush it off mm-hmm. then you will start you could potentially start to care about um you know what else is going on in your environment you can care right. about what else what else other people are experiencing be understanding that what they're experiencing has an impact on you mm-hmm. when 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 i'm coaching for instance and um coaching or not coaching i could be in a meeting and somebody gets a swell of emotion that's overcoming them sometimes i'm like okay what's going on you know i'm like you know and i just i get consumed too where i have to take a deep breath and ground reground and i might not even be aware you know that's that person on the other side of you know the camera or unless i'm like looking at them you say it's a meeting with a lot of people unless i'm looking at them or hearing it in their voice or something like that i might not even know that that's what they're experiencing but i'm Mm -hmm. experiencing it too we're Mm -hmm. all connected in that way especially Mm -hmm. emotionally there's a lot of people in california and i'm not i'm not finding them so much here in florida yet but a lot of empaths people who Mm -hmm. can admit i'm an empath i feel Mm -hmm. it right and so because of that it's important that the people around them are also feeling good or also mm-hmm. feeling safe or also feeling connected healthy um because it does resonate it affects it vibrates mm-hmm. and so um you know so i really feel like the existential crisis um is and the threat to us is our complacency or our disconnection with ourselves mm. yeah I didn't know I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you, it, it, that statement is a disconnection with ourselves. That, that's big. Um, and, and most existential crises are. Um, and then put simply how you said, we're, we're not listening. We, we, we need to get back in touch with listening. We need to listen more. We have a disconnect when it comes to listening, just as a species um yeah i feel that Mm -hmm. um as as a resident empath on this property um, (laughs) but there's all of us all of us have have that work to do and it can be beneficial for all of us to listen more and perhaps we need to listen in different ways if I can like offer that to, mm-hmm. you know, not just listening with our ears, perhaps listening to our bodies more, mm-hmm. listening to our heart, either mm-hmm. the actual physical heart or our emotional heart, more listening to our emotions, more understanding the wide variety of them, listening to our, our peers, our colleagues, our families, our children, our mm-hmm. parents, whoever it might be. More. Our pets, our pets. Dog. 
made me appetite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, because you know, there's and and to take it back to to something you were pointed out about blackness, like it was something that came up that it was, you know, one of these realizations I had in the last six months or so that it's not just a black thing, but something that I, I am happy about one of these privileges of blackness is the understanding of different linguistics, as you said, that, you know, I know what means. I know what, oh, or, or if I call someone a girl, <laughs> like, I know what that means as opposed to girl, like these are, you know, there's these different ways of hearing, ways of speaking. And it's that same thing with listening that if, if you hearing my dog whining and I explain that that is something that he does when he's thirsty and that reminds you that perhaps you should drink some water like that mm-hmm. is a level of listening that many people are disconnected from to hearing reminders in the world, hearing notes coming from the world or your environment of doing things different or doing things how we are supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've really touched on something there. That's, that's, whew, I wasn't expecting it on this Sunday morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, like you talk about listening, like, I think we all listened with our eyes when we saw Michelle Obama walking through that <laughs> Capitol. Yes. Right. She was, she was like, look, I'm just, I'm me and I'm here. Right. So yes. what, whatever you know i don't know if it was whatever but she was just herself right yes um yeah i think <laughs> I, I i listen for that you know every yeah time. yeah um yeah i even had to listen differently when katie perry was singing that uh you know during the the fireworks oh oh i missed all that Okay. I, I was I, like, I, I never know. heard Katy Perry sing from the depths of her soul. She was so I listened and I heard her saying, Okay, that's from alone. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. It's that's that's interesting. <laughs> so, like I said, that, that was my final official question. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share? Anything else you'd like to say um, to the world or, or anything that we did not cover? To say like, I just want to say like, be, be you, be you. Um, because when you are you, life gets easier. Um, when you're you and you know who that is, um, Nobody can't tell you shit. <laughs> you know, like, yes. I don't know if that's the words of wisdom, right? But I think I'll, I'll just draw from Mama Ru, RuPaul Charles, who says, know who you are and deliver it at all times. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes.